0: In song and in prayer. We're going to spend some time in 1 John again today as we continue our sermon series on the theme of loving one another. a Seemingly pretty simple and basic theme from God's Word uh, but an incredibly important and foundational one as well and one that we can't uh, dismiss as just an elementary theme that we can somehow kind of leave behind and go on to more mature Christianity. This is, this is mature Christianity. Now I'm sure at some point uh, in your life you've probably encountered a knockoff product of some sort. Now there are different things that sometimes get the label of being knockoffs, and I'm not primarily talking about just like generic brand things So like, you know, you could get uh, no-name peanut butter instead of a craft peanut butter or whatever brand name one you want, right? But usually those just generic store brand products, they're packaged and marketed in such a way that you know that you're getting something different than the brand name, right? So no-name is all their products typically look like what? They're they're plain and they're bright yellow with the plain black lettering on them. So you know you're getting the no-name product. And so that that sort of store generic brand thing, uh, that appeals usually to our sense of frugality. What I'm talking about more is you've all seen these sorts of things, right? People like hack or spam your Facebook and you see it all the time online, like the, the cheap Ray-Bans or uh, cheap uh, supposedly designer handbags that you can get. So that's a different thing, right? That, those things are knockoffs. They're made cheaply, usually in China, And they're not made very good quality, but they put the same kind of logos and word marks on them as the designer brands have in an attempt to deceive people into thinking that these are the real products and that they're getting some sort of an amazing, amazing deal. However, this bears some closer inspection. Now sometimes it seems to be that the intention is for the retailer to deceive the consumer into thinking that they're getting a steal of a deal on some designer product. But really, I don't think anymore that's actually what is probably at play. I mean seriously, if you're in Mexico and you buy this pair of Ray-Bans for like four bucks from a street vendor, you probably realize you're not actually getting the real ones and that you are, in fact, design- buying knockoffs rather than designer products. Here's what I think is actually happening most of the time we buy these products not because we are deceived, but in an attempt to deceive others. So we buy these things that aren't really very good quality, but from a distance, you might convince your friends and people on the street that you have much more money and far better taste than you can actually afford. From a distance, they might look okay, at least as, until they fall apart, because they weren't made very well. And so this latter kind of deception, this knowing you have something fake, but using it anyhow in an attempt to deceive others, is more relevant for our discussion today. We're going to, at least in part of our sermon, be looking at real versus fake love. Sometimes people buy fake sunglasses or handbags in hopes that people maybe think they're wealthier or have better taste than they really do. Sometimes people do things in hopes that others might think them more loving or more virtuous than they really are. Right? Sometimes we care more that others should think us to be loving and virtuous people, then we put more effort into that than actually just doing the loving actions. If you see what I mean. So I'd invite you uh, to turn to First John, way at the back of your Bible there, chapter 3. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So have you ever encountered someone who is better than you? That's a rhetorical question of course because we all have. Some of you maybe showed up this fall having been a pretty notable athlete in your hometown context and suddenly you got on the court and some fourth-year player who maybe didn't even look all that impressive just mopped the floor with you the first day of practice and you realized that you weren't quite as good as you thought you were. That happens in sports of course and music and academics and everything else. Uh, When you go to a new context. And social media hasn't made this any easier on us either, has it? Because now we're not only comparing ourselves with the people we actually know in our immediate context. We're comparing ourselves to literally the whole world whether you're into baking or restoring classic cars or growing tomatoes or whatever thing you might be interested in, there's always someone out there who's not only bettered at it than you are, but also presents themselves as being better at it. And so now you feel doubly like you don't measure up. And not only that, they have exponentially more followers than you do. But this isn't it, we like to say, oh, this is a you know social media. Yeah, social media has probably made this problem worse than it was, but it hasn't created a problem that didn't exist before. Look at our text for today. This goes back to the very beginning of the human family, this idea of comparing ourselves to one another and then getting bitter and resentful, right? Cain and Abel, the the first two naturally born humans to live and this was the story that they faced look at what our text is here don't be like Cain who murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and Abel's were righteous comparison falling short bitterness envy resentment sets in there are probably a couple of different paths we can go down when we're faced with someone who's just legitimately better or better at something than we are. So the first thing you can do is you can be inspired to grow. Or you can become bitter and resentful. Now we might say that the choice there, this is the first road you can go down, is dependent on what kind of a person the other person is. right? If if that person is genuinely you know, humble, uh, if they teach other people based out of their skills, if they're not always just looking out for number one, then we think, okay, well, if they're like that, then I'm most likely to choose the path of being inspired to grow. But you know what? It doesn't exactly matter in all cases. And this is the second way you can go with this, and this is the way that it seems Cain went with this. Because it seems like his brother Abel was a good and decent person, who pleased the Lord, and yet Cain still became resentful and went down the path of bitterness. You see, it's not always dependent on what kind of person the other person is, how we're going to choose whether we are inspired to grow and become more like that person or whether we become bitter and resentful. Maybe it's dependent that way a little bit, but more often it's dependent on what's going on in here in our own hearts. Right, because that person can be the best person in the world and we still become envious and even bitter and resentful. How we respond probably has more to do with our own tendencies and our own heart and how that colors our perceptions. All that to say jealousy and, and the bitterness and, and resentment that sprout from it are one of the most serious obstacles there are to loving one another the way the Lord would have us to do. My sense is we can treat jealousy, comparison, as one of those kind of petty little sins that's actually kind of quaint and not really a big deal. But the Bible is pretty clear that this is a serious problem and a serious obstacle to loving one another as the Lord commands. I mean, it prompted the first murder in human history. So, so there's that. Just saying. And friends, in a small close quarters, community such as this, we have to be even more on guard against this than in some other contexts. in a context where everyone's business so easily becomes everyone's business, it can be really easy for comparison to become a problem and jealousy and even resentment to spread. We so easily see one another's strengths and weaknesses and sometimes we aren't always clear which is which. And the ill will that goes along with that can easily prevent us loving one another. Now, that might not ever lead us to offer to go on a walk with somebody out on the grid road and to knock them on the head the way Cain and Abel's story played out, but that's exactly the point that John's talking about here. And Jesus said exactly the same thing, that hating your brother or sister, that's a capital crime, right? Hatred equals murder. Equals, what does John say here? Not eternal life. That should give us some real pause. Especially when that kind of a response to our brothers and sisters. Can stem from something as, as common as comparison and envy. Moving into kind of the second movement in this passage. So we had jealousy and resentment, don't be like Cain. And in verses 16 to 18, we talk about true and false love. And that's where I want to come back around to that idea of deceptive knockoffs. Given that comparison and jealousy and one-upmanship seem so prevalent in our culture, either because of social media or living in a goldfish bowl kind of a community or both, it can be easy to cultivate an appearance or a persona rather than actual character, actual virtue, actual love. We do this all the time in how we present ourselves, whether that's how we look or how we act. Those are relatively shallow, though. It actually gets worse when we do this in terms of our deeper persona and character. John is really clear in this passage, though. It's not the appearance of loving one another that counts. It's not a sense of... Of loving one another that counts. It's not good intentions about loving one another that counts. It's not talk about loving one another that counts. It's actually loving one another in deeds and in truth and not just in words and talk. Now, we'll unpack this in just a moment, but let's make sure we're clear on this. This is not saying that words are unimportant and have no place in loving one another, that they're, they're not valid. Sitting and talking through something difficult with someone can be an incredibly loving thing to do and incredibly helpful for them and incredibly encouraging in their faith. A a word of encouragement, either your own or sharing from Scripture, given at the right time, can make a huge difference in someone's life and their walk with the Lord and their outcomes and everything. So I don't think that's what John is after here. I think what he's after is the kind of cheap talk that can sound so impressive uh, in its concern And even very zealous in its intensity, but which actually accomplishes nothing. The old saying is true, talk is cheap, or at least it certainly can be. This is where a lot of what's called activism today truly lies. It's mostly talk and doesn't actually do anything to help or to change the situation. So those sorts of things are not real love. Contrasted against this false attempt at love, John says that we should love indeed and in truth. I think we know what these words mean, but let's make sure we're applying them. Truth, of course, means that we should not lie to one another. That's basic, but it goes deeper and gets more complicated than just telling outright intentional lies. It means that we should be careful of that appearance and that persona cultivation that i mentioned earlier whether that's in terms of physical appearance or skills or piety or anything else when we treat one another that way when we interact with one another that way even if we're not doing it with overtly malicious intentions we're not we're not really loving one another in truth obviously Wisdom is called for, you know, going to the opposite extreme and sharing literally everything about your life with literally anyone that will listen. That's probably not healthy either. But it's fair to say that our culture tends to be pretty surface level, superficial about how we're doing. And that's not honest. It's not loving one another in truth. When we act in these ways, even if we're not doing it intentionally to be untruthful or unloving, we're, we're still putting barriers in the way of giving and receiving love from our Christian brothers and sisters as the family of faith. You can't, you can't love your Christian brother and sister through the, the false mask of a persona that isn't really you. You can't love in truth through something that is not real, through a fake self. So love in truth, he says. Love also in deeds or works. I know that can be a scary term for some people, but it's in the Bible. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation or do enough good deeds to outweigh our bad, but it's the right thing to do, and Jesus commands us to love one another with actual deeds. Loving in deed means we actually have to be involved enough in one another's lives to help one another and love one another in practical and concrete ways. An online network of contacts, it's not bad. Most of them aren't going to bring you a meal when you're sick or shovel your driveway when you're elderly or babysit your kids when you need a night out. It's sort of a a, a pseudo-community. And therefore, the the love can easily just degenerate into a a pseudo-kind of a love as well. So how do we know whether our talk and therefore our love and everything we do is the real thing or just cheap posturing and a knockoff? How do we know if we're loving genuinely, indeed, in truth and lifting one another up rather than just lifting ourselves up? How do we know if we're encountering the real thing or offering the real thing or if it's just a cheap knockoff? Well, thankfully, John provides a baseline that takes us right to the foundations of the gospel. Jesus' love looked like laying down his life for us. Our love for one another should be patterned after that. Supremely other-focused. In other words, at the very least, at the very least, loving one another means it has to get beyond just what is convenient for us. So sure use words in loving others but use words that get beyond the the surface level and the superficial use words that point people to Jesus use words in this deeper way D- doing this is it's going to be more costly just think about it it will it's using words in this kind of a way it's going to take a lot more time than just the One second passing comment, how are you? Fine. If we're actually going to love one another in truth enough that we can be honest with one another, that means we're going to have to take time and actually want to know the answer if we ask someone how they're doing. And what if they ask us back? That might also require us to be vulnerable in those situations as well. So use words in that way and use deeds in loving one another too. But use deeds in a way that's about meeting genuine needs. Not just about making yourself feel or look good. And likewise, use deeds even when it's not convenient for you. Even if you don't feel like it. You See how this works? That the real measure of love isn't intensity of emotion. And it isn't how nice it appears or makes people feel. Because in fact, it sometimes might be kind of messy. Rather, the measure is whether it puts others ahead of yourself, whether it costs anything, whether there's any sacrifice involved. As we saw last week, and we're going to keep seeing again and again in this series, the biblical measure of love is that it costs us because it's other-focused, not self-focused. It's sacrificial. Now, that's not to say that loving one another equals Being miserable or being a perpetual victim or never having any fun. And it's also not to say that, you know what, okay, real love means I'm going to do things I don't like because I'm bad at them and not gifted in those areas under some sort of a guise of getting out of your comfort zone. You know, that doesn't help if God's gifted you in this area, but you're trying to love someone in a way in which he has not gifted you. That doesn't help anyone, and that's not how God set up his body to function. We'll get here in just a minute. But it does mean that if we're going to love one another as Christ would have us, there are going to be many aspects of it that aren't easy and convenient and will cost us. And to be honest, I think one of the biggest areas in our culture is going to be our time. Are we going to make, or that is, to, to sacrifice sufficient time to be involved in one another's lives, enough to love each other well? Or are we just going to waste away that time on trivial things? Verses 19 to 24 sums this up. We've looked at an obstacle to love, we've looked at true versus false love, and we end with this this command to love. But first let's look, look at how John gets us there. He says, this is how we know that we're walking in the truth and how we reassure our hearts before God. Well, what is how we know? Well, whether or not we're loving our brothers or sisters in, in deed and truth, sacrificially rather than superficially. It's gonna be a bit of a challenge to a community such as this. You know, we're 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 right to focus on concerns of doctrine, personal piety. We're right to insist that we should have time alone. With the Lord in in scripture and in prayer. The Bible teaches us, do these things. Jesus says, do these things. Whenever the the question of what matters most is put in its most rigorous form, it always comes back to where this passage ends up love, love the Lord, love your neighbor. And remember what the Apostle Paul said in in the context, uh, in 1 Corinthians, in the context of using your gifts, you know, gifts of word and knowledge and and charismatic expressions. Remember what he said there? He kind of interrupts himself somewhat in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and says, you can do all of these things, good and important things, but if you're not doing them with love to serve others, if you're only doing them to serve yourself, you're just wasting your time and it counts for nothing. Or flip back to John. You know, we'll get there eventually toward the end of our series. In, in his gospel, chapter 13 and chapter 15. Believe in Jesus. Abide in him. Love your brothers and sisters. Keep the commandments. Believe in Jesus. Love one another. Abide in God. As I understand this, loving one another seems to be the most tangible and concrete thing that we can do of those to have an indication that we're actually doing the other things. So let's look to this passage of Scripture and others like it, and let's look to them often. Let's remind ourselves that we need to love one another continually and and regularly in ways that are sacrificial rather than superficial, as we conclude, I, I'd just like to offer us two things that we can think about and perhaps hopefully begin to put into practice in these coming days. This passage and, and others in the New Testament place willingness to even lay down our lives either for our faith or for our Christian brothers and sisters. as the gold standard of the ultimate of love. But here's the thing. Most of us in this room are not going to be called upon to do that. And so it remains largely theoretical. Now I hope and I pray that if it ever came to that, that we would be willing to make good on that and give our lives. But the thing about situations like that, when it comes right down to it, I think we probably would do better than maybe we fear we would. You've got the Holy Spirit and, and adrenaline and those combinations and He's gifted us. He's made our bodies that way. I think we do better than maybe we fear we would. In some ways, and this is certainly is not to, to lessen the sacrifice that people have made by laying down their lives. But in some ways, in some ways it can be more of a challenge to live sacrificially in the dull day-to-day call of life together. When, when, It's not just a a snap decision in the moment when the adrenaline is flowing, but the day-to-day obedience in small things. Again, not for a moment to take away from those who have made the ultimate sacrifice, but it can get so hard to keep the momentum going for those occasions when there's nothing spectacular about loving one another, and it's just doing things that are kind of mundanely inconvenient. So even to, even to step it down a notch from martyrdom, though, what seems to be the, get the biggest outpouring of love and actual care? Well, usually it's things that are most noteworthy in their difficulty. It's usually a crisis situation. We see this in, in public scenarios when there's a natural disaster or an accident of some sort, and it's public, and it's widely publicized, and there's, there rightly is an outpouring of care. For tragic situations. And it doesn't even have to be public. It can be just a local thing. A crisis situation where somebody, you know, tragically loses a family member. Or there's a sudden and severe illness. And again, it's right to pour out expressions of love and care in those situations. I've been the recipient of those. And I'm very thankful for when people do things like that. I think one of the biggest challenges before us is not to wait for a crisis, to love our Christian brothers and sisters in concrete and practical ways, and not to stop loving people once a crisis has passed. Each and every day presents us with needs that we can help meet and burdens that we can help bear. So what does this actually look like, though? As John here gives the example in this passage of helping a brother or sister who has practical needs. We might say, you know, financial needs. Somebody that's without the world's goods and is in need. That's a really concrete need and we probably can and should all grow in that area. But I think we can probably extend it beyond just those financial need situations. There are all kinds of needs that need meeting. I won't insist that what I'm about to say is, is the one definition, but I, I'd like us to think along these lines in the days ahead. And this is to leave our passage for today behind some, but it's, as I, I mentioned it earlier, it's hard not to think about 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of this and the importance of love and the reality that you can do a lot of things, but if you don't do them with love, it doesn't count for anything. So I would propose that loving our brothers and sisters looks like using the gifts God has given us by His Spirit as they were intended, sacrificially for the good of the body, for the good of your Christian brothers and sisters. So that's, I think, the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we taking the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given us, whatever they are, encouragement, generosity, teaching, hospitality, whatever, and are we exercising those in the context of using them sacrificially, even when it's not convenient, pairing that up with sacrificial use of whatever other resources we have, time and and finances and so forth? Are we using those gifts in that context in order to meet the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters, and doing so in order to bring glory? To Jesus. Gathering around the Lord's table. As we're about to do. Provides us with a picture of what love should not look like. Were you listening? You heard me correctly. It's in Luke's account of the Last Supper. Though this, this comes up in, in a number of places in the Gospels. Where the disciples begin arguing about Who's the greatest? We have there a picture of the sort of comparison and jealousy and beginnings of resentment that we're all so prone to. But Thankfully, of course, that's not all we're reminded of. Jesus challenged the disciples there and reminded them that they were not to act in this way. You remember what he told them, right? This is how the Gentiles act those that are considered great are those that lorded over everybody else, and you shouldn't be like that. Instead, you should be service-oriented, sacrificial love-oriented. And our Lord Jesus certainly didn't love just in intentions or talk about love. He didn't love just superficially. He loved sacrificially. His love, it was the real thing. And we're also reminded when we think of Jesus that in him there wasn't any sense of, of jealousy or of keeping up appearances in his love for us. You remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2? Right? Though, though he was already in the form of God, in, in nature he was God, there wasn't anywhere higher for him to go. He didn't grasp after that, but he humbled himself. He took the opposite course until there was no lower place for him to go. Again, his love was the real thing. So as we partake around the table today, let's, let's be reminded of the disciples that are like us and that natural tendency towards the comparison and the envy and, and that. But let's also be reminded of what triumphs over that. The sacrificial love of our God expressed in Jesus. Think about that as, as we pass these elements one to another today. I invite those who are serving and our worship team back up. You can just take a moment or two. You know we did have a time of, of prayer of confession earlier. But let's just take a moment while everyone comes down uh, to prepare our hearts as we come to the lord's table Thankful god Thankful god